Oh, Miss Christie moved from last week's Grease Lightning <laughs> to this week's Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Wonderful, wonderful. And also, I don't know if you noticed that uh, Cassandra both played and directed at the same time. I think that's pretty impressive. And that Cassandra also wrote with the lyrics and music for that song. So that is a Cassandra piece. <laughs> don't be afraid of the dark. Here we go. Don't be afraid of the dark. I don't know about you, but I heard that reading from Matthew, and we said, thanks be to God. And I thought, really? Thanks be to God, really? Do I really want to say that to that verse in the book of Matthew? It's just kind of a terrifying verse, one of those texts of terror. Someone's going to get thrown out in the darkness, all bound up, all by themselves. Kind of horrible, don't you think? Thanks be to God. You know, th thanks be to God. But here we had it in the scripture. And it's interesting, when I looked up the passage and like passages like it, this gnashing of teeth you know, that's going on, and these, all this stuff that it's describing. You know, the one person who says that more than anyone in all of Scripture is Matthew. You know, out about the 12 times it is throughout the Bible, five times are in Matthew, this gnashing of teeth. Uh, and in Matthew, it's the only time when it's talked about as some kind of punishment. And the rest of the Scripture is talked about as what one enemy does to another enemy. And so I think it's kind of interesting that if we don't want to have any gnashing of the teeth in the Bible, just stop reading Matthew, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or people getting thrown out. You know, I, I have a hard time with pieces of scripture like this because I know a God of love, and I know a God that's been revealed to me in Jesus, and the God of love who's been revealed to me in Jesus that said, I've come for all, it said, I've come for all, you know, so that God doesn't throw anyone away. That God does not cast anyone out. That God is always and every time being about reconciling everyone back to God's self, back to love, back to God as their creator. You know, so when I know that Jesus and I hear these words, I think something must not match right here. What's going on with the scripture in this story in the Gospel of Matthew? What's happening? What's happening in his community as he writes that might make him say these things? And if you look at the historical part of it, you see that Matthew was writing to a torn-up family feud community. They'd been fighting for over a generation, fighting, fighting, fighting about who was in and who was out. And they were blaming each other. And they got so tired of fighting each other, they were telling each other to just go to hell. I don't know if you've ever been in any of those kind of arguments. Well, we got one of them right here in the Bible. Matthew is talking about his Jewish family, his family, some who believed in Jesus and some who did not believe in Jesus. And they're fighting about the temple having been torn down. And, and Matthew even blames the people that are on the opposite side that they even caused the temple to be, born, born, to be torn down. Oh, goodness. Do you like to blame someone else for everything that's going on? You know, every now and then. And sometimes you'd like those people that are causing you the most trouble to sometimes just disappear well, bind them hand and feet and throw them out into the outer darkness where they're going to gnash. You think? So when we hear these words, these human words in our text, these very human words from a very human community, 
that's been struggling about how to live together and live together during crisis. And they've broken down and they've started to blame each other. I want you to hear Matthew's hurt and Matthew's pain of what it means to walk in that kind of darkness and that kind of hurt. And that sometimes you just lash out. Sometimes you just lash out. And we are a people who know God's love in such a deep way. We know that even when people are lashing out, that God's still reaching out to them to bring them healing. God's still reaching out to them so that they can find comfort. God's still reaching out to them so that they can walk back in the doors and be part of the family again. With the family feud gone, the family feud healed. And so, thanks be to God, I still question, you know. But the scripture catches us with all our warts, catches us exactly who we are. And this particular story is one of those three in a row where Matthew's just blaming everybody else who disagrees with him. Part of the scripture it even talks about someone coming to a wedding, but they're not dressed the right way. You know, and so that's the reason they're thrown out. They haven't put on the right garment, even though the garment was given freely by the host. They just didn't put it on. You know, so that's what Matthew attributes to being cast out. And goodness, don't we know people what it's like to just be cast out for some simple reason is not having on the right kind of shoes? You know? Or the right dress? Or looking masculine enough or feminine enough? Or any of those things the world likes to put you on the edges. Jesus was about taking everyone in from the edges to include them right in the center of what the law was all about that no one gets thrown away. In that kingdom that Christ brings, there's no dress code. There's no dress code. Come as you are and believe that you will be welcomed in the scripture in this way. Oh goodness, have any of you ever been afraid of the dark? Every now and then I have. Sometimes it surprises me. Sometimes I walk into environments, I don't know where I'm going to be, and I don't know what it's going to be like. You know, would love to have more information, and then something just happens that I get to see things in a whole new way, and that's a joy. And I want to introduce to you today the station owner of a radio station that hosts Whitney's uh, show, if you've never uh, listened to it. What's the tea? show about uh, transgender life. And Jesse Gunn, if you'll stand up. He's over here. He's the man who comes to church with his Bible. And so a week ago, Jesse invited me to go on their radio for a three-hour show to talk about what marriage equality means and what it means in our different communities and with people representing all sorts of communities there. And he aired it even a second time, you know, that show. And so isn't it wonderful to have allies out there that you don't know even exist until you walk in the room? So I wanted you to see his face and know who he is and to, and to look at what it looks like to go to a church you're not familiar with and carry your Bible with you. It's okay if y'all do that. I've done it before. You know, but let's talk about what it means to go into that space and not know what it's going to be like. Have a different experience. Have your eyes open. Learn something new. Stretch into a spirituality or a practice that's different from what you've done before. So how do we go about walking in the dark? One, I would suggest don't go too fast. 
you know? How many of you have bumped your shin on something in the dark, you know? And all you had to do was go a little bit slower, let your eyes adjust to what was in the room, maybe use your hands a little bit, and you could have avoided that altogether. So first rule, just go a little bit slower, pay attention. And you know what? Even if you get your shins bruised, it's still worth it. It's still worth it to make the mistake and to keep trying. So let's learn a little bit about walking in the dark. One of the first times I realized I didn't know how to do this was when I was 16 years old, and I got my first job, and I was very proud. I was a cart pusher for Jimco, a store that doesn't even exist anymore. You know, pushing shopping carts. So I pushed shopping carts from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then I got a big dust mop, and I would, I would dust the aisles down after the store closed, and then the manager would go around and point out everything you missed, and then eventually I would be able to go home. And so I was 16, didn't have money for a car, and so I rode my huffy bike to work and home. And so the first night on my first job, all excited, and you got to remember the days. This was like 1975. Minimum wage was $2.10 an hour for pushing those carts. I remember getting the raise when it went to $2.39 an hour. And I was pretty proud of that, too. But first day, 10.30, headed home on my bike, and I got scared. I realized I'd never been out that late at night on my own, having to go from one place to another place, make my way through the neighborhood. And so as, my, as I rode through our own neighborhood, I got spooked. I started riding my bike right in the middle of the street, <laughs> you know, so I could see as far as I could both ways, riding my bike home. I made it home without a heart attack or any danger, you know. And then this became a nightly ritual. But what happened over time was all of a sudden, my eyes adjusted. My eyes adjusted to be able to see the houses that I was passing, to see sometimes the cat that's out on the yard, to see sometimes a lighted window and people having, uh, watching TV inside, to notice what was going on around me, instead of just fearfully going as fast as I could home down the middle of the street. But it took time for my eyes to adjust. And I learned in that moment in time that, you know, the only time in our house that the lights were off was during Christmas, but then the Christmas tree lights were on. Turned off the rest of the lights so you could see the Christmas tree lights. And so learning to walk in the dark means living a little bit differently. Living a little bit differently. A little bit less where everything has to be lit up so much. Lit up so much. Oh, goodness. Our culture and our tales seem to always make darkness a bad thing. And we think about that scripture piece, you know, don't trust Jesus, that seems like a really bad thing. You know, and so even, uh, I know some of you Star Wars buffs will remember a guy named Darth Vader. Means dark father. Look at that. Are you supposed to trust that? I think it's built in the way so we're supposed to be scared. But it makes the association, may the force be with you. But there's a bad side, and the bad side is dark. The bad side looks like this. So how do we rearrange our lives so we're not just always afraid of the dark? I'm always such a nerd about this, too. I even like Harry Potter. And they have these teachers in Harry Potter that teach the defense against the dark arts. Do you remember those teachers? Defense against the dark arts. Some of them weren't very good at all. And then there was the worst one. The worst teacher against the defense of the dark arts was the one that said, all you have to do is read about it. 
Any of you thought that about your faith? All you have to do is read about it. You don't have to put it in practice. Just, just read about it. Think about it. You know, but that was the worst teacher. The best teachers were the ones who knew what the darkness was, were the ones who had experienced it themselves, and the ones that could help the students take their first steps to not being afraid of the dark. The one who also was a werewolf, you know, who had this creature in a box they were afraid of, and they got to imagine the most horrible things in the world, but he was where with them to get them to take the first steps. And then ultimately the best teacher but we thought he was a villain, was Professor Snape. Because this is the teacher that was willing to give his life for love. Our faith tells us that's a good thing. What are you ready to pour your life out for? What are you ready to give your energy and your resources for? What will you do that for? And this teacher does it for love. Don't we need teachers to walk with us along the way? to help us even if we bust our shins against the furniture, to help us even if we're going so fast that we're out, not actually able to let our eyes adjust. Sometimes teachers do help, and Jesus is our teacher that says, you know, I'm going to go into the darkness with you and even break the hold that death has and to break anything that keeps you away from my love. When I was in college, I became a youth counselor for the kids at our church. And we would go on camping trips, all sorts of trips for the kids to have fun and bond with each other. And so they're usually two to three hours out of Houston. So when you leave on a Friday night, two to three hours out of Houston means you arrive wherever you're going in darkness. And if it's a campsite, it's usually really dark. So what did we do as city kids? We're setting up camp. We got all the cars lined up around us with the headlights on the site so that we could see what we were doing to set up the tents, uh, which, you know, was pretty smart, right? We can see what we need to do. We didn't even think about having no light on, you know, but we put the headlights on right away so it focuses on our spot and we put our tents up and we got ready for the evening and surprise, surprise, in the morning when we got up and we walked outside our tents and looked around them, we had camped on the edge of a cliff Seriously, if we had walked one step further the other way, just a yard away, we were on the edge of a cliff. You know, the river was way down there. People would have fallen off and hurt themselves. We didn't lose any kids, thankfully, but we didn't allow our eyes to even adjust to see what the terrain looked like before we lit our headlights and started doing what we thought we needed to do. What if we just took a breath? to say, okay, God, help me in this moment. Help me to see differently. Help me to notice what it is you would have me notice right now. Maybe go slower. Maybe breathe deeper. Maybe have the lights turned off instead of the spotlights and headlights turned on. We also forgot coffee makers for that trip, so it was really interesting trying to make coffee in a skillet. I've, and then to use for the sifter a wax cup, so then you pour, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. But it was a learning experience for me. What does it mean to have to have things so bright? You can almost hurt yourself, hurt yourself because they're so bright. 
a colleague of mine, Kimberly Davis, who worked, was a church worker with me, she invited me to her church. She didn't go to our church. She was office support staff, and they were having a celebration. Kimberly said, Troy, come with me. Come sit with my family, my tribe. And I said, okay, what's a tribe? And uh, she tried to explain it a little to me, but I hadn't seen it before. So we were, I joined her at Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church a traditional African-American church that was a huge church that had a hundred-voice choir and was just wonderful. I got there before Kimberly's family arrived. So I walked to the, a place that looked sort of in the middle of the church, and there was a post there I could lean against where I could see the front door. Okay? And so I looked at the front door for Kimberly and her family to come in because I was going to sit with them. And I noticed after a while that people were treating me in a certain way, and I wasn't quite sure why. Uh, I thought it might be because I was the only white person in the room. You know, I looked different than the rest of the folks in the room. But what it was was they thought I was a politician. <laughs> they thought I was there to get their vote. You know, talk about the dark side. But what happened in that moment was I recognized it again where I don't let my eyes adjust to the light. And so Kimberly's family came and I got to sit with them for this grand celebration and be a part of her tribe. And in the moment when one of the, cho the choir got up there and did this beautiful anthem, and as they were singing, it just bowled over me of how much I hadn't seen before. In this hundred-voice choir of this African-American church, the hues the shades, the variety, the diversity just washed over me. Mahogany and sienna and mocha, chocolate, brown. It was amazing and beautiful, God's created diversity. And I thought, what does it mean, Troy, that you haven't noticed this before? You know Kim and her family? You have people of color in your life. But in that moment, something new washed over me of the diversity of God's creation and being able to let my eyes soften enough to see the difference and celebrate more than I ever had before. I was in my 30s. I was in my 30s and had the experience to have broken open to me the great diversity of people that some folks like to lump into one way of being and in a stereotype say exactly who they are. And there it flowed over me. I wonder if you've ever been in a place like that where you've had how you knew the world be change. Where you've been able to celebrate new beauty. Where you've been able to celebrate new diversity. Maybe it took stopping. Maybe it took letting the light come in in a different way. Maybe it took going somewhere you've never been before. I don't know what it was for you, but for me it was that choir that sang God's love to me and showed me God's diversity in a way I had never seen before. Oh goodness, can we still grow? Can we still learn to walk in the dark? Because we know how our language affects our being and affects our meaning. We know how much people have been profiled, how darkness has been used against folks. We know that when we see dark only as bad and light only as good, that we sin. And we know in our world it's happening over and over again, and more tragically, even in this moment this summer, more tragically than we've seen recently. 
So I invite you to open your eyes to maybe a new understanding, a new awareness of how even our language shapes the frame of the picture we look at, shapes the frame of the picture we look at in such a way that we cannot even receive the beautiful diversity that God is pouring out towards us. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us never be thrown into the outer darkness. Help us to include everybody in your love and your kingdom with us here. Had any of those moments in your life? I know I went to Rothko Peace Chapel, and the first time I went to Rothko Peace Chapel, I thought, what is this? I was expecting some beautiful art. Have y'all been there yet? I was expecting some beautiful art. This is someone just put the same painting up on four walls. You know? Then I sat there for a while. Then I noticed the light change and shift, and the paintings reveal within them something more. But my eyes had to shift. My heart had to change in order to receive what the artist was doing in that space. It's called a peace chapel. What does it mean that towards peace, maybe we walk a little bit in the dark? To have the experience of what Rothko offers us in that space and in that chapel. Oh, goodness. You know, in the Bible, as many good things happened in the dark as did not. Jacob wrestled till he got a new identity. God, in creation's story, made night and day and experienced both of them as good. You know? Abraham, God took out into the countryside and had Abraham look up at the sky. If he'd stayed by the campfire, he couldn't have seen it. And said, these stars in heaven are your future. These will be your descendants. But it, if he hadn't have taken the walk in the dark, he might not have received the blessing that God had for him. Will you walk with us this season to learn a little bit differently how to experience the dark? To maybe wonder what it has to teach you? Will you refuse to exclude anyone? Refuse to judge based on what your eyes see only in lightness? Will you let the lights go out? Wondering what God is going to reveal to you? Will you refuse to worship a God that limits people's gender? Limits diversity? Will you choose to receive a Jesus that says all things are made new in Christ who loves you? So this day I invite you on this journey with us. I invite you on this journey with us. As Barbara Brown Taylor said, I needed to take my own walk in the dark. I've shared with you some of my little walks in the dark. And thank God, Jesus is still with me each and every step of the way. Amen. Just to take you at your word Just to rest upon each promise Just to know you saved the Lord 
Jesus, how I trust you, how I proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you. Still morning. Good morning. My name is Annette Beal. I'm a, an, a lay delegate here at Resurrection. I've been elected by the congregation to represent Resurrection uh, at uh, our network meetings. Uh, there's one coming up here in October. You can sort of uh, look for that coming up uh, October the 9th and the 10th. Uh, that is a gathering from what we used to call our district or our region network uh, gathering here to talk about um, the growth, the development, uh, the life of this part of the United States. There is a conference coming up in uh, July of next year, which is in Canada. And I would encourage you, if you haven't thought about going to a general conference to do that, to see that there is a lot more there than what we see inside the walls of this congregation or even in the boundaries of this city. I've been in MCC since it was eight years old, uh, just eight years after the 12 people gathered and started this amazing ministry in the United States. Over time, I've watched it grow, I've watched it change, it has changed, it has developed into something that I thought I would never see in my lifetime, just like I thought I would never see our right to marry in my lifetime. So things are changing, things are growing. I remember how excited I was when the small farming town of Quincy, Illinois actually started a church. And that, that was a long time ago, it seems. Things have changed in such an incredible way. Uh, we went from having a congregation in... in uh, South Africa, in Australia, in Canada, in Great Britain, to being all throughout this world. What I've learned in my years with Resurrection is that um, my church basically has no boundaries and no walls. My responsibility lies far beyond the walls of this church building and the boundaries of this city. We have a connection that is so widespread that I think it would take us uh, more than this service to think about where we are, who we are, and how connected we need to be. Uh, there are people in other countries experiencing the things that we've already experienced. So uh, could I have the slides from a church that, was, that joined uh, as an emerging church in 2014? <clears throat> 